It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. When we talk about career, I feel like that's a word that feels somewhat loaded right now. I saw an Instagram post recently that said, you don't have a career, you have a life, which was the comments in that post were really, really interesting. So starting this episode with our guest today, the wonderful Jasmine Reed Clark, talking about this idea of career and the concept of career, Jasmine. Before I kind of turn the ball over to you, I feel like it, it's a loaded word to me because of all of the connotations and the meanings and the importance and the weight and the emotion we put when we talk about our careers. There's a lot wrapped up in that. So I'm curious because, of course, over the course of a global pandemic, there have been a lot of pivots and a lot of changes and a lot of, I think, people deeply questioning like, what the hell am I doing on the planet? What am I doing with my life between unemployment, the shutdown? I mean, the, the idea of career, I think, is more multilayered and complex than maybe ever now in the consideration of it. How do you define, Jasmine, what does a career mean to you? And in some ways, how can we pivot into a healthier relationship and a framework of how we are regarding our careers, especially in the West? where it's hustle, grind, and kill yourself for money? I know that's a lot of questions in one, but Jasmine, how do you define career and how do we frame it in a healthier way? It was a lot of questions, but they're all questions that I love to answer. So this is truly perfect. I want to, I'll break it down in a few ways. So career, what is a career? Now to me, Jasmine Reed Clark, to me, it is truly like the vessel so that I can receive a payment but also fulfill my purpose. However, I say this to my clients, I say it to my family members, and I even say it to my husband, that is not everyone's journey. And I think it is okay to not be in love with your career. It is okay to not turn your passions into profit. It is truly, what is the relationship you want to have with work? Now me, I am someone, I can blame it on my ADHD or my astrological sign, Aries, but I have to be passionate about what I'm doing, whether it's a relationship, a friendship, or work. So for me, I need passion to be a, a thematic pillar in all of the things I do. But I don't like, if anything, I'm like, do not be like me because it is very exhausting. But I really think for most people, a career, you know, kind of bridging outside of that, let's talk about career wellness. And that's one thing, you know, I consider myself a career wellness coach because I love to pair the tactical. So like, let's figure out how to figure out your job strategy. But let's also talk about your childhood wounds and why you want recognition at work and why you want to save the planet, you know, all of these different things, or maybe why don't you want to do these things. So with that said, I love career wellness, because it really allows us, it meets us at the intersection of who we are at home, and then who we want to be at work. And I think that's what's really beautiful. 
and everyone's definition is going to be different. And when you can really honestly answer that question, I think that is when you can find a new level of enrichment in your life. And again, I am saying this with, I have clients who are like, I am a first generation, whatever it is, whether it's a college student or, hey, my parents are immigrants. I don't give an F about (laughs) being passionate. I'm here to make some money and I'm here to like, and I'm like, great, let's, okay, cool. So then let's also figure out how to pair that with your strengths so that you can have healthy boundaries with work, but also optimize and maximize the amount of money that you're making in the process. And then you have the like flowery hippies in another life like me who are like, I just want to, I just want to have an impact. And I'm like, okay, great. What does that look and feel like to you? And then we can, at the end of the day, whether we call it manifesting or just being very strategic, I really try to advocate and empower my clients to realize that you have agency over your life. And what do you want to do with that agency? One of the tidbits that really jumped out at me, Jasmine, when you were talking about passion and how... I think you you might have used the word challenging. To me, one of the biggest difficulties that I have had, and I'll say difficulty because it's been tough, has been, I don't even want to say over the course of my career because I, I have done so many wonderful and also bizarre things for money. Like I, w- when I sit down and I tell people some of the things I've done for money, they're like, that's weird as hell. I mean, I've done like... Some of the weirdest. Let me let me just real quick since we're on the subject. My first like actual job job, not like mowing lawns in Detroit where I grew up, but like, you know, jobby job was in high school. And I was the guy in an x-ray warehouse who would go through this giant, dusty, old x-ray and no windows. It was creepy as hell. It's the middle of summer. I'm losing weight like crazy. And I had to extract from a certain number of years, different x-rays, because those had silver in them, never knew this before I did this job, they melt down the x-rays, they extract the silver and sell it for profit. So I had to go through a warehouse of x-rays, sorting them by year, and then getting them to be melted down for silver. That's just one of the weird, I could go on, there's a bunch of weird things. But when you talk about passion, right, it's always fascinated me how If I'm not passionate about something that I'm doing with work, I mentally check out, I emotionally check out, and my heart doesn't feel connected to the work I'm doing. And in some ways, I don't know if envy is the right word. Maybe curiosity is more is more accurate where I've seen friends and colleagues who are like, I'm going to open a port. Like, this is no joke. I have a friend of a friend who opened a porta potty business. Right. And I'm like, okay. And then I found out how much money he makes porta potty. And I was like, Oh, you make that much money running a porta potty business. Holy God. Now, part of me is like, damn, I want to make that much money. But then I think about would my soul feel a sense of fulfillment running a, no disrespect to anyone who runs a sanitation business, but my heart, I'd be like, I don't give a shit about a porta potty. Like, literally, do not give a shit about a porta potty business, even though this dude is making multiple six figures running it. So when you talk about passion being challenging, I wonder what you mean, because the way that I interpreted that, Jasmine, is like I could probably be making a whole lot of money doing something I feel no connection to, but I can't do it. Like my soul is like, bro, you cannot do this with your life. Does that resonate for you? Like, what do you what do you mean for yourself when you talk about passion and the challenge of that? 
When I talk about myself personally, Jason, you and I are cut from the same cloth because the jobs I've taken because I needed a paycheck. I'll give you a good example. I actually had a manager who was like, oh, I can tell you don't give a shit. She's like, I can always tell when you give a shit about a project because it's out of the park, A++, clients love it, executives love it. I can ask you to to do the most menial task and it's garbage and you don't read directions. And so that is really challenging for me because I, I am like you. I envy people who can... I shouldn't even say robotic because maybe you and I are the odd ones and we're the like passion robots. But I really, really do envy that because I look at my husband, for example, he can turn it on and off. He's like, I can care from nine to five and then after five, I'm going to ride my bike and care about the things I love. And for me, I have to like love it. And I will say that has led to an incredible amount of emotional turmoil in my professional career because I will overcare about a project. In therapy, I have to work on emotional boundaries at work. Even my current clients, I love like, God, and I got to be careful, but like some of them I love and I'm like, okay, I'll help you no matter what. And even sometimes I'm like, oh, it's okay. You don't have to like charge me for this session. And my husband will hear it. And he's like, what the fuck? Like you need to charge her. And I'm like, no, but you don't understand. And like, I get so emotionally attached to people's stories. And I have to, one place where I'm having to grow is realizing I can still be a loving, compassionate, empathetic business owner and still make money and still make a profit. And by the way, I just want to say the porta potty thing, brilliant, because like everyone shits. You know what I mean? So that's perfect. Well, it's like Soulja Boy, fun fact. Apparently, he opened up like a soap business and everyone like LOL'd at him. And then when the pandemic hit, he was like, well, joke's on you. Everyone's trying to wash their hands now. I'm a fucking millionaire. So kiss my ass. So anyway, it's just interesting how, but I wish I could be that person because I want to be the person who can just go in, put my head down, get shit done. And I think there's a lot of power in that. So if you are the person who's like, Oh, I feel because we do live in a a, a hustle culture that makes you feel bad if you don't love what you do. I am telling you person to person, there is power and having boundaries. And I'm still trying to figure out how to set my own. But yeah, for me, yeah, totally. I have switched industries a few different times. I can't stick to a business plan because sometimes I'm like, oh my God, now I want to help this person. And I um, I actually keep a memos app about because I have ideas through the rest of the year. And I'm like, okay, you got to keep these plans. You can't just switch because you want to fix everyone. That's not fair to yourself, if nothing else, and definitely not fair to a few other people. It's really interesting because I've had a, a lot of thoughts around all of these ideas we have about what it takes to be successful, make money, feel fulfilled. And I think the older I get, the more I recognize that all that stuff has just been made up by other people. And it's not the be all end all. It's not a one size fits all approach. That's something that Jason and I keep coming back to on this podcast of how we don't resonate with 
this like strategy mindset of like, take these steps and you'll get these results. Because Jason and I have tried that approach with our business and our lives. I mean, personally, and it doesn't always work. I mean, I've especially found that as a woman growing up feeling like I needed to look a certain way and to fit into society's viewpoints on beauty in order to be loved and accepted and feel powerful and confident. And over time, I'm like, what? Like, what? Why? That has not served me. And I get so excited, especially these days in the past year or two, to see how the body positivity movement has been shaping things. Even though it's not a perfect movement, there's a lot of issues with it. But what I think it has done is opened up the the like conversation around the fact that there is no one size fits all body. You don't have to look a certain way, be a certain age, uh, be anything, any sort of metric like that the society puts on us. And I'm especially interested right now, Jasmine, and I imagine this comes up a lot for you, given your work, is the age conversation. I see this a lot on TikTok. And I've really considered like posting about it, but I'm not really sure how I want to say it yet. There's so much conversation around like getting old. And I've noticed how many women, especially, but actually, I take that back. I see this from men too. The big concern around turning 30. And I'm like, I'm over 30. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I don't think I was that concerned about turning 30. Why are so many people in their 20s feeling behind? And posting like, oh, I didn't get this until, you know, I'm 27 and I just accomplished this. And I'm like, 27 is still really young. Why is it that right now, a lot of younger millennials and older Gen Z people are terrified of turning 30 and feel like if they don't accomplish something before they're 30, it's too late? Oh, I would love to take this question. So... A few things. First, I just turned 30 in April and I feel like I didn't have, yeah, over 30 club. But like after that, I, I didn't really have a lot of, I didn't have that, but I did have that when I was turning 25 because 24 going into 25, being in the South, I was like, I still don't know what I want to do with my career. I don't have a boyfriend and I am still hung up on people from my past. And little, like truly little did I know within 60 days, I would meet my now husband within a couple of years. I would be in a career that I'm like, oh yeah, this makes sense. And then the people you think about from your past, you truly can leave them in your past. Here's, But to answer your question head on of like, why do I think people have this aversion to turning 30? It's because we were raised, and I say this with love, because at the end of the day, I will always have a respect for every generation because every generation brings something and can learn something, absolutely. But we were raised by boomers who believe in bootstrapping and like doing things so that Karen down the street thinks you're cool. And we pass that on to our kids and we're people pleasers and all of us have anxiety. But with that, I really say because I look at my parents, I got off a phone call with my mother before this call. I'm like putting on my makeup because I know we're going to have video. And I'm like, mom, I can't get into this with you right now. But my parents are like, why don't you have a house? 
you have a husband. Why don't you have a house? And it's like, mom, and here's what's crazy. We could technically buy a home, sure, but we would be house broke. And we also don't know if we want to be in Texas forever, but it's all about, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my mom literally said to me, literally, and you can keep this in the podcast. I don't care. She goes, but if you have a home, then you're going to have a better marriage because then you have something that's legally keeping you together. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I mean, I kind of just let her ramble on, but I'm like, while I understand what you're saying, I don't want to be in a relationship because it's about, oh, we have a home together. We have a whatever together. Like, I want to be in this relationship because I believe this relationship serves me, which I do. I mean, he drives me crazy half the time, but I really, really believe he serves me. And I am like, my God, have we even moved past the fact that it does come down to property? But that's a whole nother conversation. And if you want to go there, we can go there. But what I'm saying is, because to answer your question, why are we afraid of turning 30? Because we are being raised by people who in their time, when you're 25, you can have a kid, a house, a degree, and a good paying job. Now, I I saw something on like Instagram, I think, but it was like the new white picket fence is living in like a one bedroom apartment that you can like barely afford, but YOLO, like you can afford rosé. And I'm like, I legit relate to that on a spiritual level. So that's what I think it is. And I know for me, and this is where I'll be very individualistic and keep in mind, disclaimer, this is I'm projecting, this is my trauma, this is my story, but I think the reason I was so nervous of turning 25, raised in the South, raised in a Christian community was, what does it mean if I'm not married with, you know, what does it mean if I don't have this? And I'm very, 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 very grateful that I've been led on a spiritual journey And I know if you're not woo-woo, you're like, oh my God, click, don't pause. (laughs) What I'm telling you is I'm very thankful the way things unfolded because I was forced to realize, but do you even want those things? And if you don't, that's okay. What do you want? And if you do want those things, why do you want them? And I know for me answering that question, I knew I didn't want kids I love kids. I love being an auntie. I love being like a godmom. I'm not a godmom, but <laughs> I'm going to speak that into existence. But I love, I love, love, love caring for other people. And I think that's part of what I bring to my clients for sure. But I knew since I was young, I wanted to be a wife. And it was funny, my husband and I during the pandemic, and this is probably being a little bit too real, but I want to help normalize this it is normal to go to therapy for your marriage. If you go to therapy for your brain, if you go and see a physical for your body, it is so healthy and so normal to go to therapy for your marriage. And we did that during the pandemic because I'm like, fuck, we are in a romance rut. What are we going to do? And my husband's like, well, we can't go anywhere. What the fuck would you like me to do? (laughs) And you know, Thankfully, we worked through that because of the tools that we had accessible to us, which also opens up a conversation of privilege. But we were able to go to therapy and really figure out this, that, and the other. But one thing, and I didn't even realize it until the therapist asked me, I dreamt about being a wife who could dote 
on my husband. And it's funny because I, I very much lead with a masculine energy. I'm an entrepreneur. I love to fix things. I'm a fixer. So one thing that we've been working on since that session is realizing where can I lean into my feminine energy and receive a lot of love, but also inspire love. And we have gotten so far from the question of why are people afraid to turn 30? But I think we're afraid to turn 30 because 30 means we should have certain accomplishments that maybe we don't because we don't have the access to. But also I think 30 means... Uh, if you ain't figured out your bullshit, now it's on you to figure out your bullshit. And I know after I turned 30, I, I thankfully I was able to finally get in with a therapist I'd been wanting to see for a minute. And that's what I told her. I'm like, listen, in my 20s, it's about figuring out your childhood trauma. And now I'm ready to truly, truly, truly like move past it. So. I love everything you shared and it all ties into it. I mean, absolutely marriage and buying a house, I think are two huge mental challenges. I see this so much on TikTok, which is where I feel the most in tune with people around my age or younger and even older in some cases, thankfully. I I love seeing people of all ages on that platform. But given that it's very dominated by younger millennials and older Gen Z right now, it's really an, a fascinating look into what people are going through and how they're living their lives. And what I see happening right now is a lot of people feeling frustrated and depressed because they're not living life in the way that they thought they would or they felt like they were supposed to. And yet I see hope in the fact that they're determined to figure this out. And I would say that the blessing of getting older is that every year older I am, the more I understand myself, the more I work through challenges and and the more tools I have because I have experience. And I think that's the the big thing that breaks my heart about people being afraid to get older. It's like, why do we have this misconception that getting older means that you're you're having less or you don't have more like enough time or like to your point, Jasmine, all of this mindset around like what our parents said to us and the pressure that was put on them and the pressure that was put on us as a result of that is fascinating. And I, I'm trying not to like blame my parents. Like I think about like, wow, what was going on for them when they grew up and what were they told about being a parent And how were they trying to support us? I don't think most parents were like, we're going to set our our kids up for emotional distress. Like, I'm sure in their heads, they're all just looking out for us. And, you know, my mom's similar. She says similar things to me like yours did, Jasmine. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. But what I don't think they fully understand, and maybe now if they're paying attention, they, they will see, is that they had very different... The world was very different when they were around the same age. So they cannot apply what happened. Like my mom says those things. When I was your age, I was doing blank, blank, blank. And I'm like, great, mom. But that has nothing to do with me. And the world is vastly, vastly different now than it was when you were my age. So I just have to like brush it off. I'm not going to try to fight with her. But it's like, it's my job to listen and let her say whatever she wants to say, but recognize that that has nothing to do with me. It's all about her. And it sounds like you can really relate to that, Jasmine. So I love you sharing all of this about how that's impacted you and your marriage. 
and so many golden nuggets <laughs> just in that alone. And one thing that you said was about getting older because I witnessed a mother who, and I want to be clear, great mother, people can be amazing and still have trauma. But I had a mother who, when I look back, I was taught how to have an eating disorder. Like, oh, you ate too much? Here's some laxatives. And I'm sure she learned that from the like culture that she was in. And then add that to being like through the lens of a black female where black people don't have eating disorders and you're left to be like, oh, what's going on right now? But I see my mother who, if you met her today, and in fact, we went on vacation and people had no idea she was my mom. Like she looks incredibly young for her age, 20 years younger. And bravo, bravo, moisturize, yes, queen slave. However, I saw her obsess about it. And I remember thinking, I don't, I don't want to obsess the way she obsesses about it. And I caught myself when I'm, okay, so if I had any like turning 30 bullshit to get over, it was, oh my gosh, like I'm starting to get lines in my neck. Or when I smile, I have crow's feet. And what's funny is I saw something on TikTok and I don't know, it had such a profound effect on me, but it was like, if you have lines by your inner eyes, like your outer eyes, crow's feet, or you have, I think they're called gowls, but you have laugh lines here. Be grateful because it means you laughed a lot. And that's why you have those wrinkles. And I've been able to really embrace that. But of course, I have thought, oh, should I get Botox? Because I'm starting to feel my my face like do like, mm, like make weird faces. And whether or not you decide to get Botox, I'm not here to determine a moral compass on that. Do whatever makes you feel good as long as you're happy, healthy, not hurting anyone and you're doing it for you. But I will say this, it's because I think in Western culture, we don't, God, I'm going to get hate for this, but here we go. We don't value wisdom. We don't value growing. Like I, I shared a uh, an Instagram meme recently, like this week, and it was like, Isn't it funny how when we say a woman has let herself go, it's her physical appearance. It's never because, oh, she let go of her career. She let go of her dreams, her aspirations. And I'm like, oh my God. And I've been thinking about that literally every single day since posting that. And I am trying my best to realize I am so much more than the beauty I have to offer people. And it's funny because, God, we're going to get really real. And I know we talked about this on my podcast. You know, when I used to post selfies five, six, seven years ago, it was like, oh, my God, you're so pretty. Now people relate to whatever my caption is. And I caught myself very recently, like in the last three or four months, thinking, oh, my God, no one's commenting on my looks. Am I losing it? And I do have to sit down and be like, okay, why do you care? Do you care? You know, it's it's this whole unraveling, but it is a very sad reality we have to live in and I'm living amongst it. So I don't have any like amazing hacks or tips to dealing with getting older, but to say that I'm falling for the bullshit too. And I, on a daily basis, have to remind myself getting older is a privilege. You have wisdom to share and whether or not this is right, wrong, I might disagree with this 10 years from now, but I literally have to say to myself, 
and again, I don't, I don't want everyone to think this way, but I tell myself if I'm being honest, the way I cope with it is like, I had my time. I was young, hip and cute. And I still think I'm young, hip and cute. But if the world doesn't want to like put me on their trending page, that is okay. Cause I still have, I have to remind myself, I still have so much more to offer than my looks. And that's my truth. There's so much goodness in everything you just shared, Jasmine. And I think this conversation of aging, it has so many layers to it in the sense of we're talking about from both of your perspectives as women who are on social media, who are talking about tox- toxic beauty standards. I think this this conversation flows into not the idea of desirability or attractiveness and, and how that is a gauge on our, on our value in society. And also our usefulness as we age. One thing that I come up against in my mind all of the time is how there are these really rigid, you talked about beauty standards for women. I feel like there are also standards for men in society that I see parroted all the time in media, which is these metrics of masculinity, right? You know, this sort of superhero archetype of, and this could get into white savior complex too, absolutely, of like coming in to save everyone. And I'm here to save everyone, which I think has tentacles of whiteness and masculinity and colonialism. And we could go deep down that fucking rabbit hole. But this idea that as a man, I'm supposed to come in and protect and save everyone. Because as a man, that's what you need to do. And guess what? If you're not strong enough, you don't have enough money, you haven't ascended up the social hierarchy, guess what? Then you can't save everyone. And if you can't save everyone and protect everyone, you're fucking failing as a man. You're worthless. Get the fuck out of here. Like there are these standards as a man that I constantly fucking feel this pressure to uphold. Like, you know, and, and I'll see it too, right? You, We talk about standards and I'll be in the line at the grocery store. And of course, I'll look at Cosmopolitan. I'll look at, you know, Allure, but I'll also see men's health. And men's health is the same shit, just a different message. You know, please her all night long. Get stronger and more ripped than you ever thought possible. You know, cut diamonds with your dick. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, do learn how to do backflips off your motorcycle in just two weeks. We are all, if you are a member of human modern society, I think we are all in different ways. Again, you can talk about ethnicity, color, gender, etc. but we are all subjugated by an oppressive, toxic, capitalist culture that wants us to conform. And God forbid you do not want to conform because you will be crushed by people's opinions. You're weird. You, what do you mean you don't care about that? You don't wear makeup? You don't work out? You don't care about making millions of dollars? Wow, your, your hairline's receding? I, we could. There's a trillion examples of this, but I feel like it is a crushing amount of pressure. And what does it come down to? Like, if we don't do this, we won't belong we won't do this. Nobody will want us. We won't be fuckable anymore. We won't be desirable anymore. We won't be valued. I mean, it really touches into our deepest, most primal fears. And boy, is that a great way to sell things to people by de- tapping into their deepest primal fears. It's a great way to sell shit. All I can say is exactly, completely, and I have nothing to add to that except that yeah. And even as somebody who it, who comes from an advertising background, even before HR and recruiting, we were taught that in college. 
you sell to people's aspirations, but let's be real, aspirations, fear. So if people want to be like eco-friendly, let's sell them. And I drive a Prius, so it's not a hate on Prius, but it's like, let's sell them a Prius and tell them they're saving the world. Like everything you've said, I relate to such a very intimate level. So thank you for sharing that. Well, that leads me to something I'm curious about, which I can't remember if we dug into when I was on your podcast, but what drew me to you and your podcast initially was the phrase anti-girl boss. And I was like, that is awesome. Because when I started reading about that term girl boss, which is something that's I've had a really like fluctuating journey with because when I was starting to run my own business and figure out how to monetize it. Like back in 2010, which is where my journey for being self-employed started, I was just like at a loss and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know many people. Like social media was not where it is today. Like barely anyone I knew was making money off of social media. Jason was actually one of the very few people. Like I remember thinking, whoa, like Jason's making so much money off of like YouTube sponsorships. And I thought that was amazing. I'm like, I want to do that. And I knew like a few bloggers that were making money, but it just, it's not like what it is today where that's very commonplace. Like now we have the whole creator industry. And so over 10 years ago with it not being like that, it was like, I was looking for any opportunity I could find. And I was also like, figuring out my sense of self and you know what it was to be a woman around that age and all that. And um, that's when I kind of stumbled into this girl boss movement. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. All these women, they're running their own businesses. They're working for themselves. They're changing the world. And it was like so exciting. And yet my issue, and I'm curious how much you relate to this, Jasmine, and what else is is part of this for you. It's like also pretty toxic or it has become so. I don't know if it always was. But the hustle culture, as we mentioned, is huge in that world. But the girl boss movement is generally, from my view, very focused on young, beautiful women, a lot of privilege. Like when I think girl boss, I think of young white women. I don't think of a lot of diversity. I think of really skinny girls who have a lot of money, who may have come from a background of money, which is also disturbing, trying to convince people that they made it all themselves the self-made woman, when in the reality, they were set up for success in ways that other women didn't experience. And going back to what I said earlier, I take a massive issue. And actually, this ties into what you just said, Jasmine. It's the girl boss movement, I feel like, for the most part, is capitalizing on women who want to be girl bosses, but may never get there because they don't have the resources, the privilege, all of the things. So when you say, just follow these steps... Those steps are not going to work for everybody because they are dependent on where that person is in their life and how they got there. And it's very rare for someone that doesn't have privilege to be able to follow those steps and get to the same place. And that mentality of like, well, if if you're not making this work, then you're the problem. You're the failure. And if you don't fit into these standards of beauty, you're not going to get these opportunities. So you have to conform. And basically... It feels like major conformity and major focus on capitalism and privilege and ignoring all of the issues in the foundation. So if you haven't set up the right foundation, it's not even going to be sustainable 
it's just going to end up ruining your mental health. And that's probably why it, it breaks my heart because all the years that I felt like I was a failure because I wanted to be that girl boss and could never quite achieve it. And then how do you even, if it's not sustainable, yeah, what does happen after you turn 30, 35, 40, et cetera? You know, are you now just a washed up wannabe because you're too old to fit into the girl boss model? And I think that's why a lot of women are struggling right now, especially younger women, because it's like they feel like if they can't make it, they're the failures, there's something wrong with them. So with all that said, with my opinions out there, Jasmine, where's the crossover for you? And are there different elements of this based on your experience that I I didn't even touch on? No, I mean, everything that you said is, excuse me. I relate to on a very, 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 very intimate level because I remember when I was, okay, funny enough, I was working at Poopery. So it all comes back to like selling shit as a business. So (laughs) some people do porta potties. I worked for Poopery. Yes. And I, I remember listening to Girl Boss. I'm not joking. Even when I would finish the book, I would hit repeat and like re listen to it. And while I believe, I do genuinely believe and will likely always believe that you can rise above your circumstances, I will never, I will never forget the fact that there's a level in privilege. There's a level in class, race, colorism. But with all that said, no, I was totally somebody who was drinking the Kool-Aid and was like, I want to be a girl boss. Girl, like, I think that's why I'm so anti-girl boss now because I fed into hustle culture. I remember saying to someone in HR like, oh, they don't care enough. They're not a part of the mission. And my HR manager, and while she gave me a lot of shitty advice, she was like, one of the good pieces, she was like, they don't have to be. They can just be here because they want to pay their light bill. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. You have to be bought into the value system. And she's like, "Mm, no, like people can be here because they genuinely just want to pay their bills. And it took me a lot of time to understand that. But once I did, I'm like, oh, okay, I got to like reach as many women, men as I can because you don't have to sell your life away or if you are just understand what comes with that purchase because i think people sell an idea of idyllic or idyllic vacation homes or great interactions with their boss and it's like when i was making 90 grand and i don't make that now believe me but when i was making 90 grand i i mean i had a mental breakdown and i don't I don't think that's a coincidence because you feel a higher pressure to perform. You feel a higher pressure to show up and you feel a higher pressure if you fail. So yeah, the girl boss thing speaks to me. And the reason I titled my podcast Office Politics, the anti-girl boss is because I was like, listen, what the world doesn't need is another like raw, raw, inspirational business podcast. Not because they're not great. I literally listen to all of them. And a lot of them have so much wisdom, whether it's marketing techniques to, oh my God, I just got to get through Friday. I need a little bit of juice. Come on, hit me. But I know I went on my podcast to say, oh, it's totally normal to hate your boss. 
it's totally normal to wonder if you're not cut out for an industry because you're not passionate about it. So I know that's what I was looking to bring. And so what I wanted people to understand is, and while I I have my exception episodes for sure, my podcast isn't to come and be inspired so that you can hustle for the next 14 hours. It's truly to almost like release after you've worked 14 hours. <laughs> At least that's what I hope people use it as. It's a different yeah, take. I, oh, go ahead, Whitney. Oh, I was just going to say, Jason, it reminds me of something that you and I both had a light bulb moment around. And I, I think you and I were together because I have this memory of... Do you know, Jasmine, are you familiar with Casey Neistat from YouTube? I am too yeah. familiar with Casey Neistat. Yes. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Before any... Not that anyone thinks they would. Any rumors start. I just mean when I was first getting into like vlogging and stuff, I'm like, okay, what's his style? How does he transition? So I've watched way too many videos. Oh, yeah. I mean, Casey Neistat was like years ago. I, it's interesting because I haven't looked him up in a while. I don't I, I just lost touch of what he's been doing. But there was this period of time where he was like the pinnacle of YouTube success. And like a lot of aspiring YouTubers were studying Casey Neistat. He was so cool. He was like just killing it. And so I just loved listening to him. And he did some podcast interview, Jason. I don't, maybe you'll remember this, but you and I, correct me if I'm wrong. I remember we were driving over a bridge somewhere like to New York City, I think. And I remember you and I were either discussing or listening to this podcast where he's talked about how little sleep he got and how he barely saw his wife, barely had time for his youngest daughter at the time. And you and I were like contemplating this. And I, and I also remember it tying into like Gary Vaynerchuk and like that whole mentality, whenever that was, maybe like 2014, 2015, Jason, maybe it'll ring a bell for you. But that mentality at the time that in order to make it, in order to be successful, you had to compromise your sleep, which impacts your health and your family or your personal life. Like you had to give it all up. You had to do the bare minimum on everything in your life aside from your business. And I have known countless creators like that who fed into that mentality and maybe still do. And to me, that is so damaging. And I wonder how many people are still in that mindset to your point, Jasmine. And it was paralleled, I think, to the girl boss movement because a lot of women were seeing men do that and thinking, well, I'm just as smart and and valuable as a man. So if I want to be seen that way, I need to step up and show that I can do that too. And the pressure that had on both women and men, and this is where I want to hear Jason's perspective as well, is it's like, I don't know who had it worse. And maybe it's not about like who had it worse really, but like I think both sides are really struggling, but women had the disadvantage of not feeling fully equal to men because of our society. So women may have had to push themselves even harder than these guys because they had they felt like they had to catch up, improved themselves. And it's no wonder the girl boss movement got to that point. It was like, we got to do this for the good of all women. We got to prove that we're valuable. We got to prove that we can be successful. We got to hustle just as hard, if not harder than men. So Jason, do you remember this? Like this is my, it was like at night, you and I were probably on the East Coast for one of our business trips. And we were like, I think driving either into 
Brooklyn or like out of there. Like I have this set, this deep memory of, of us having this conversation. How about you? And like, it doesn't matter if you really remember it, but I'm just curious. And then I'm also curious, like how that has had a ripple effect on your life, because I know you've struggled a lot with it too. I do remember this conversation and I, I do remember the rise of Casey Neistat and I obviously Gary V and you look at this very ingrained mentality that, you know, at the risk of sounding totally blunt in the system that we're all in, we are all fodder for the machine. We're fodder. I don't care if you're a billionaire or you are destitute. We all exist in a machine. Now, the thing is with billionaires, yeah, we look at them and we vilify them. And for good reason, they are deserving of our scrutiny because they've benefited from a system that is set up to unfairly benefit them. But the machine is the machine and the machine is going to eat us all and spit us all out. I don't mean to sound you know, like it's a matrix situation, but it kind of is. It's, and here's what I mean by this. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to the idea of fame, success, notoriety, Someone will come up out of nowhere. We know it's not really out of nowhere. We know that most overnight successes have 5, 10, 15, God knows how many years behind an overnight success. But the machine, I'll never forget, there was this conversation, God, who was it? I'm trying to remember who it was. This was like 15 years ago. This might have been like Jam Master Jay from Run DMC. I'm trying to remember exactly who it was. But there was an interview with a rap artist who was talking about the music industry. And he was saying the way they do it is every single year, these executives at record companies will come and they'll talk to their A&R people and they'll be like, this dude's hot, this chick's hot. Okay, cool. And what their strategy is, as they're handing out record deals and they're putting money behind these artists is they are literally, and they phrased it this way, is they're taking a handful of motherfuckers and they're throwing them against the wall and they're seeing who sticks. And very, very few people stick. If you stick, they're going to ride you and extract as much fucking money out of you while you are hot because they know not everybody is Rolling Stones. Not everybody is Jay-Z. Not everybody is U2. Those ideas of being like a career rock star, you're, I don't, God even knows the percentage of that. My point is this, whether it's YouTube, the music industry, modeling, acting, they're going to throw your ass up against that wall and see if you stick to flypaper. And if you do... You have a very narrow window to make as much money and get as, as famous as possible. Why don't we hear about Casey Neistat anymore? Right now, it doesn't mean Casey Neistat's gone, but he had his moment. And who'd they replace him with? They replaced him with Mr. Beast Mode and David Dobrik and whoever the fuck is in the pipeline. This whole system wants to chew you up and spit you the fuck out. And I think subconsciously people know that they need to, quote, strike while the iron is hot to make as much money and to get as famous as possible because the machine is going to grind you up. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. So I think the pressure we're talking about, y'all, is like if you get any inkling that, you know, reminds me of that Eminem song, you know, you only get one chance to blow. You know, it's like, oh, this is my chance. If I don't maximize my chance right now, I'm fucked, which goes back into the conversation about age of if you don't hit in your window, you ain't never going to get another window, which we know is bullshit, but it's also not bullshit because in the machine, that is how the machine is designed to operate. Who is the flavor of the month? Let's extract as much money and fame and influence and then toss you aside because someone new is going to be the flavor of the month. The machine doesn't give a fuck about Jay-Z, Mick Jagger, 
Aretha Franklin, Casey Neistat, David. The machine doesn't give a fuck. The machine just wants to squeeze as much as it can out of you and spit you out. Really, I don't mean to be hardcore, but that is my observation of how the capitalist and entertainment machines work together. Can I just, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, because, <laughs> oh my God. I was on a walk today and somebody reached out to me and she's like, hey, I because I do some ghostwriting for her, it's someone in the public eye. And she's like, I want to like increase what you do for my platform. And mind you, I'm tapped out. I have reached my bandwidth. But when I tell you that what said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Let's set up a meeting for next week. It was, what if I'm not fucking relevant? in six months. Like, what if this is what funds my retirement for the next 40? Like, I can't tell you how much I relate to that. And when you and you, oh my God, y'all have to have me on for a part two. Because when you want to talk about marriage, relationships, friendships, I sometimes break down because I feel like a juggling act. And it's crazy because I tell my clients to not be like me. I say, I am a cautionary tale. And then you want to talk about Eminem. It's so funny because I literally was just like joking with one of my clients how we play Eminem when we're angry. And it is, it's this funny, like you understand that the algorithm doesn't give a fuck about you. It doesn't give a fuck about your family. doesn't give a fuck about your dreams. So you do feel this pressure to strike while the algorithm thinks you're hot. And that's very hard because you don't know how long you're going to be on the top shelf. And when you're on the bottom shelf, you know, so, and you know, you think about all the time you spent behind the scenes trying to get on the top shelf. So you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta take every opportunity that comes to me and and that is something I, I I have to just say that like that is poignant because I understand that feeling and I haven't found a solution for it yet. But I know when my husband says, hey, it's 11 p.m., why haven't you turned off your computer? And this is literally as of this week. I'm like, because what if I literally said, what if I'm not relevant six months from now? So I just wanted to say that is a very, very very real thing you brought up. Yeah. And it's so important when you, when you say, I don't know like how to fix it and don't follow my example. I think actually what you're saying is part of the solution. And the reason why someone should look to you as an example, Jasmine, because you have the awareness of it. And that's the biggest thing that Jason and I have discovered actually through doing this podcast. The number one key to most challenges from our perspective, is awareness. And I think the awareness is so key to this particular problem because a lot of people don't have the awareness of why they see other people succeeding and what it took. That's, again, why I have issue with the girl boss movement because it's the highlight reel. It's look how look where I am now. Look how great I am. But they're not sharing the truth behind the scenes. It's and this is when we see people like on TikTok right now, there's a lot of focus on Addison Ray. She's like, she even to me has kind of overtaken Charlie D'Amelio. Like it felt like everything was about Charlie on TikTok for a while. But suddenly Alice or Addison rose and now she's got these 
TV and movie deals and she has music out. And I've heard people say like, A, how did this girl get there? And B, why is she doing so much? But what Jason just said to me, it must be the explanation is she's hot. She's relevant. She feels the desire and the pressure. She probably dreams of being famous. And then everybody's got this, the money dollar signs in, in their eyes with Alice Addison. I don't know why I keep saying Allison. Addison Ray. And so everybody's kind of coming to her with these opportunities. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know what it's called, but I'm, I'm, I got this vague vision of, of uh, like a cartoon character, like that evil. It's like almost like the Pied Piper or something. Like, hey, follow me. Like, I'm going to take you to the promised land. Like, all you have to, it's literally all you have to do is follow me and everything that you want will come true. And so we've got these trail of people following after someone, not knowing that where they're going is not in their best interest. And that's awareness. That's why I want to say to you, Jasmine, that what you're describing is so important because people, I'm sure, look up to you. And when you're speaking out about this, you are helping them grow their awareness earlier. And that's, that's another benefit to being older is if you can use your age to help people that are younger than you and say, hey, I've learned something that I hope that you learn when you're younger because it'll take you less time to get to where I'm at and hopefully support you along the way. So Jasmine, to anyone younger than you that that hears you speak about these things, it's like the greatest gift you could give. I very much appreciate that in a way you'll never really understand but I, I, I did a boot camp and long, like a branding boot camp. And it was funny because I, I remember like raising my hand and I'm like, here's what's weird about my brand. I'm like, I'm not the, I'm the expert in the way that I've been in HR for so long, but I'm like, I'm not the expert because I'm going to give you the polished beauty pageantanza. It's more like, oh, I have fucked up so many times that here's how I fucked up. Here's what happened. Here's what stuck when I threw spaghetti at the wall. But when you talk and, you know, again, this could be a whole conversation. I, you know, when Olivia Rodrigo really popped off, I saw a lot of us were getting really protective over her, myself included, because I'm like this bitch or sorry, I don't know if I can, but I use that word with endearment. But like, I'm like, this girl can like, she's it. I love her. And it's funny because she was so TikTok that I was like, oh, should I even listen to her? And once I did, I'm like, oh, I, my God, I love her. And I'm like, I don't want us to do her dirty and filthy and disgusting the way we did Britney. Because I think we realized like we all had a part in where Britney is today. And so it's just that self-awareness. And I, my, I genuinely with every being in my soul, hope we are all learning from our mistakes. Because when we look back, like Brittany didn't fucking stand a chance, but we built her to be like, we built that whole story arc. And I don't, no one should have to go through that. And I fucking hate that Brittany. I mean, that's a whole story, but, but yeah, we were talking about TikTok and I just wanted to say that about Olivia Rodrigo, I hope we've all learned our mistakes from how we take pop stars and we put them on this pedestal and you better be perfect. And if not, we have every right to, you know, eat you alive. And um, no, we don't. No, we don't. Here's the thing I want to talk about. And, and aside from media, entertainment, 
what we've been talking about and, and sort of the inherent nature of the machine. When we go back to career wellness, Jasmine, because I, I want to dig into this more with you in this moment, I think one of the most difficult things is even in a corporate setting, non-entertainment, you know, you're, you're in a corporate setting, it's been historically really frowned upon to show any kind of real humanity at the workplace, right? In the sense of, I mean, if I look back on my career in working in, in funny, you and I have a similar thing before I got into, to food and wellness and coaching, I was in the advertising industry as a copywriter for many, many years, right? I look back on those stages of my life and I think about how many mental health days I actually needed, but did not feel the agency and did not feel the safety to even say that I needed those things. So when we talk, when we talk about the idea of bringing more humanity and communicating, you know, what you coach people on and you teach in your framework of career wellness, I don't know if this is a part of it, but I want you to speak more on how we can as individuals get clear about what wellness means in our careers, how we create more agency around it, especially in a workplace or systems like we're talking about that don't encourage us to find balance, that don't encourage us to speak up and state our boundaries and our needs. It feels daunting as hell. Like, where do you think we, we ought to even start with this? I love this question. And we have to start with so many other questions. But I think the first thing is, I believe in kind of breaking it down past, present, future. So sometimes it's easier to start with our present. But if you are willing to emotionally go to that past place, it's funny, I'm working on journal prompts right now. But what was your parents relationship like? Or the guardians who raised you, what was their relationship like with work? Did you so to kind of be vulnerable for a moment, I saw one parent, my dad, he worked really hard. He liked what he did, you know, for all I knew, and he made a lot of money at it. So to me, that's the message I received. So I feel like I had a really quote unquote healthy. Now I can kind of see where I have transitioned into making it unhealthy, but a healthy relationship with, oh, if you work hard and you want something, you go get it. And so let's look at your past. What did your parents do for work? What was their relationship like with work? What has your relationship been like with money? What do you believe about passion? What do you believe you're here to do? And then I think we can go forward into your present and then your future. And that's how I would typically look at it. But with wellness, at the end of the day, and truly, there is no right answer. Just what is the relationship you want to have with work? Now, if you want to be like me and Jason and be passion pirates, great. Like, what's your passion? Do you love flowers? Do you love dark chocolate? Do you love light switches? Okay. But if you're like, you know what? I think I just want enough money to help care for my mom, care for myself and not worry about things. That is a fantastic answer as well. You don't have to subscribe to the American dream. What do you want? What relationship do you want with money? I know I have some clients who are like, I don't have any friends at work. That's weird to me. Whereas I met my best friend through work. So it's just understanding who you are, the relationship you want to have with work, and then taking those baby steps from there and realizing not only is it okay 
A lot of us are envious if you don't want to be obsessed with work. So just realize that there truly is enough space for everyone. And if you if you want to try something new, I really recommend you try something new. But if you have something that you haven't quite heard me talk about, please, please, please slide into my DMs at Jasmine Reed Clark. And I am happy to guide you through it because I've been through so many different phases of my career. And I think part of your message and the big takeaway that I'm getting is that sometimes you learn the best lessons through your perceived failures or mess ups. And I think a lot of us have this hope that we can prevent it. Like we can avoid pain and we can combat our fears, you know. And this is big for me. I, when I examine a lot of my behavior, it's often motivated out of my anxious fears around not being prepared. And I, I've thought for so long, if I'm just prepared enough, if I just have the right system, then I don't, I can avoid pain somehow. And as much as we can look to other people for advice, that's, that's not preventing us from pain and discomfort and struggles. We're probably just going to go through it in different ways, or maybe it'll be a little bit less, you know, like maybe we can just like, avoid and dodge some things that because other people have have helped us with it. I got this like vision of a video game. (laughs) And you know how like, some people are really good at playing video games, and they can just like get through it fast. But first of all, the reason they're good at playing is because they've probably played a lot of video games, and they have a lot of experience and they, they, their brains like can anticipate things because of what they learned in the past. Then There are some video games that you can get like cheat codes for that other people provide you because they found them. And so you can like skip forward through some of the challenging parts. But anyone who's tried that knows it's not quite as satisfying when you cheat on a video game because you get through it too fast. And part of the fun is all the times that you mess up and then like do it over. And then as you're doing it over, you get better. And then you're like, you feel really good about it. You're like, oh, yes, I made it through this level that I've been trying to beat for so long. And so I don't think it's always about avoiding it. And yet you can sit there and acknowledge the fact that maybe you feel afraid, maybe you feel anxious, maybe you're feeling burnt out and overwhelmed and examining that. And to your point, Jasmine, like, do you want that for yourself? And just because somebody else wants it doesn't mean that you have to want it. Exactly. And when we even look at, you know, our parents or our guardians, whether or not you had a great example, a mediocre example, or a horrible example, you do get to decide, I want to emulate that or run in the total opposite direction. And I know, I think we talked about this maybe in the beginning, towards the middle, when you're like me or Jason, and I'm sure Whitney even, it's just, and you work to fuel a passion. It's easy to, on the outside, look like a workaholic, but truly in your mind, you're like, I'm just fighting the good fight. Like, no one else is doing this. I'm picking up the swords and, you know, battling. But I will say this. With respect and love to both of my parents, I saw my dad miss a lot of moments because of work, and I knew I didn't want to do that. So I made sure when Jordan came to me and was like, hey, I don't like picking you up at the office nine o'clock at night. I made sure to listen to that. 
And we find a system that works for us. If you're curious, I'm very, I'm so, I'm like too much of an open book. We do a lot of breakfast dates and that works for our marriage. I'm not saying it's going to work for yours. I'm not saying it needs to work for yours, but have that open communication because I knew, I knew from a young age, I'm never going to sacrifice love and unconditional love because of work. And the more we all work in the capitalist society, I think we all know our boss doesn't give a shit about us. So for the most part, so truly have those hard conversations, figure out those solutions. And I know for me, it is so much more important as long as I'm living my purpose, but my partner understands I love them and I feel they love me. That's my happy camper threshold. So figure out yours and understand that if that means you have to disappoint your parents, all right, whatever. Easier said than done. Very easier said than done. Again, I got off my call with a mom or my mom before this call and she was like, why don't you own a house? Like, it is hard to like navigate those conversations, but be honest with who you are because I want you to learn the lessons you're supposed to learn this lifetime. And um, that's what I have to offer. Yeah, it's beautiful, Jasmine. And I think what this really kind of distills down to me is having the awareness, the willingness, and the courage to face the often difficult and confusing journey of finding out who we actually are. And so much of this, I think, conversation with you has been full of the journey of discovery. Who are we if we decide not to succumb to our parents' conditioning? The conditioning of maybe the religion we grew up in that doesn't resonate anymore. The religion of capitalism. Who are we independent of those things, those programs, those conditions, those rules, that subjugation? It's difficult. This is not easy work. But I think ultimately, if we want to feel a sense of freedom, a sense of liberation, a sense of deep connection to like our essence, this is work that's got to be done. And it's, it doesn't mean you can't have a good life, you know? It, it doesn't mean you can't have a good life, but it's like, why are you here? Go ahead. I know you had something beautiful to say. All I, no, thank you. And all I was going to say, if you don't learn it in this lifetime, I swear you will learn it in the next lifetime. So I know for me, I'm just like, all right, I am ready to learn all my lessons. And for me and here, I'm going to lay all my dirty laundry out in this life. I know I am meant to learn self-love. We talked about weight. We've talked about career. I am meant to be here to learn. No matter what weight I am, I have been every size from a four to a 14. That's not an exaggeration. To no matter how much money I'm making. Literally last year, I made $36,000. The year before that, I made $90,000. I am meant to learn. I am worthy of love, respect, admiration, and my own confidence. And my God, I do not want to go through another lifetime of having to learn these lessons. So truly, 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 truly learn them as soon as you can. Surrender to the lessons you're meant to learn. And know that you, if nothing else, if all of this is like woo-woo and new agey to you, you are breaking generational curses. And that is something you can like totally research, but truly... What I'm doing today being like, mama, you do not need to be a size two to fit into a white beauty standard. 
I may not feel that when I die. My granddaughter may not feel that when she dies. But my God, 100 years from now, because that's what they say is the average, she's not going to have to go through that bullshit. And you know what? And take this as you will. I would love to get to a world where we're not talking about race, gender, socioeconomic class. I want to get to a place where that shit is in the background. I don't I fuck I don't want to get on LinkedIn and see first female CEO. No, fuck that. That should be old history by now. But what I want is to help be a part of the solution. So, if nothing else on my hard days, that is what I remind myself of. Preach. Preach. You you are in good company here with that mission on on the planet. We feel you so much and if you dear listener, dear viewer have been feeling Jasmine as we have, Please visit her Instagram, her website. We're going to link to all of Jasmine's resources at our website, which is wellevator.com, where you can follow up with Jasmine Reed Clark, follow her work, coach with her, be a client of hers, because she's clearly going to love you up and down every which way. You ain't going to get more love from a coach than this woman. That is very clear. And for all of the resources, everything we mentioned today, we're going to link to everything Jasmine related in our show notes at wellevator.com. Our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We'll have the transcript for this episode, everything we mentioned for you to follow up and work with Jasmine and enjoy her work. It'll all be there for you at our hub and our website. And Jasmine, it's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like we could go for, especially because you touched on generational curses, like we may need to have you back for part due because you dropped the spiritual shit right at the end. And I'm like, okay, she clearly is planting the seeds for a part two. So if we have a part two with Jasmine Reed Clark, do not be surprised, y'all. And if you demand it, let us know. Perfect. I would love to be back on. Thank you guys so, so, so much. Thank you, Jasmine. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.